What's up, y'all? This is Jason. Hey, it's Josh. Welcome to season three. Say that to say this. Welcome back to another episode of Say That to Say This. Today's special. Today, you're going to get to hear from one of my best friends, Darnell Cooper. Darnell is a man that I met through the work of Mission St. Louis. If there's anybody that has helped shape who we are, uh, Darnell was at the ground floor of that. And so today, you're going to get to hear a little bit about our story and how Darnell went from uh, being a guy in the neighborhood that we got to meet to really becoming family. And uh, I'm excited for you to hear his story. So tune in. Thanks. Oh, dude. Thanks for doing this, man. Oh, no problem. Anytime. All right. So we're, uh, we're, we're going through the history of Mission St. Louis. This is 15, year 15. So we're just kind of going through like everybody that has made a, a big impact on the life of the organization, trying to tell the story through podcasts leading up to our gala in September of next year. So all right, we'll, uh, we'll kick this thing off. Um, so you and I have known each other for what? almost 15 years. Yeah, it had to be. It has to be. What year did you start? Mission St. Louis. Uh, 2006 when I was at the journey. Uh, but we yeah, didn't probably, actually become a 501c3 till 2008. Yep, that was when. Because I remember you didn't. Uh, you weren't a nonprofit. Right. At the beginning. Yeah. So so let's start there. Um, you uh, we met in McCree Town. But your Give a little history on your family in McCree Town, a little background on you. Let's start there. Uh, so my family, well, I guess you can say we're from McCree Town. Um, we probably were in that neighborhood for more than 40 years. Uh, my grandparents, uh, my parents grew up in that neighborhood. Um, all of their kids grew up in that neighborhood. And so, I mean, that neighborhood is was basically our ours right so my grandma would host all of the uh tuesday night i guess you, i guess you can call them bible studies but they're more like block parties and she would cook for everyone in the neighborhood and all the guests that came to the neighborhood as well so hey before we before we go there because i want to spend a lot of time on on that just because uh the amount of times that I dunked on you in that process, I think needs to be documented for worldwide listeners. But before we get yeah. there, you, you actually kind of grew up all over St. Louis. You went, you ended up in high school at Oakville, right? So yeah. what was the, talk a little bit about like the association between, you know, Oakville, where you grew up, but then that anchor of, of the bank's house, your grandparents' house in Forest Park Southeast. Oh, so I went to school in um, at Oakville, which is in South County. Um, as far as like the, I guess the connection there, uh, there wasn't a huge connection. Um, we just loved to play football, and that was the school that we chose. Uh, it was different. Uh, Oakville is very, uh, I would say, white, and um, where I'm from is very black. So. Um, with that connection there, I mean, as far as my grandparents and 
Um, they taught us to, I guess, love and care and be around everyone. So I don't really have an issue switching from the hood to South County because we were raised to see and treat everyone the same. So, but and you had multiple. I mean, there are multiple family members yep. that lived. In, it wasn't just the banks. It wasn't just Maurice and, and my, Stella. Yeah, my um, I had cousins of uh, Drake. Um, my uncle Glenn lives in that neighborhood as well. Um, my uncle Ernest, who who's died, he passed away a few years ago. He owned a, a bunch of property in that neighborhood as well. Yeah. So you, y'all, your your fingerprints on on McCree Town, Forest Park Southeast was was really really deep. So yeah, they know and anyone that has lived there for the past fifty years knows our family. Yeah, 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 and that and so let's talk a little bit about. I mean, you guys have such deep roots there. Uh, talk about the uh, the first time that that we met. And uh, and maybe like at that time, I don't think Mission St. Louis had really formed, but it was the very, very beginning. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about all of the, uh, the the uncomfortableness, the weirdness of, you know, a white dude, a handsome white dude uh, from Louisiana walking into McCree town and, and how that relationship developed. Yeah. So I, I can remember the first uh, day you guys came in. And we were all on the porch. Um, just to give you guys an example of how many of us are on the porch, my grandma has over 60 grandkids. So there are a ton of us on, on the porch chilling. And I think it was like four, four, four white guys walk up and Josh being one of them. And um, I believe it was Jim there who asked if we wanted to talk about Jesus. or And my granddad looked at them and was like, I don't care about that. I'm the devil. We all just sitting there laughing, and um, we thought we we thought he scared him off. My granddaddy is a character. If you ever met him, you would you will you will be laughing like Josh's because he is a character. <laughs> and um, um, again, we thought we scared him off. The next week, they kept coming. I would say they they came consistently for a good three or four months before I will say majority of us talking. My granddad talks to everyone. He's going to joke. He was hazing everybody at the beginning. He's going to crack his jokes, but you know, he's still going to communicate with you. So um, I will say a good few months went by before uh, we began to just, I would say accept them. And they started these block parties. Uh, I think they were every Tuesday, right? Yeah. And they started these block parties and my grandma volunteered to have the Bible study section in her home. And oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, I remember uh, the journeys pastors used to come. And uh, Oh, is that right? Yeah, but yeah, they used to come to my grandma to my grandma's house and do Bible study and um I'll say over the years the block party started to become um, just a normal thing that our neighborhood would look forward to. And uh, Josh and them became family. Like uh, I've lived with Josh. Um, he's one of those guys that we can call and ask for anything. 
and we usually don't do that outside of family. So Josh has become family. He, uh, Mr. St. Louis has become a part of our story as well uh, because it really taught us how to love different people. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, um, I mean, a lot of us didn't go to college, didn't, I graduated college, but it wasn't the norm. And so seeing people come in that were nurses, I mean, we had some NFL players, um, college graduates, it, it gave a lot of us a different aspect on life to be able to go and achieve, you know, those things. Mm-hmm. For that, yeah, it was all but you, you make it sound so pretty. I mean, at it took man, you 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 were like the last person in that entire group to talk to me. Yeah, but it it it's that was more so on a not trusting thing. Usually, when white dudes come in the hood dressed like y'all, they are cops. <laughs> so you know, it's not you know you don't want to be associated with that. <laughs> I would say. It's, <laughs> I wouldn't say it was anything else besides that. Like, hey, dudes, we don't know what these dudes are doing down here. But I think out of all the dudes, I talk more trash to you than anybody else. Was that why you wouldn't talk to me? No. You know, I'm used to talking trash, but I, I don't know. I, I would say when we when we started to talk, I mean, we became real family. So I, yeah. I do that a little more instead of jumping right into it. You feel like that? How much of uh, how much of my jumper and crossover do you think had to do with with that? None, because you don't have it. You, you don't have. <laughs> Out of all of the one-on-one games story. that we've played through fifteen years of friendship and brotherhood, how many times have you ever beat me? Don't probably on majority God. of times. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Hip hop, hip hop. Don't make me uh, bring up the story with you know uh, Jared t- tore your ACL. Hey man, it's because he took my knees out from under me. Nah, dirty dude. You trying to you trying to play with the with the tough guys? Is that what happened? Yeah. I think I think we're remembering things differently. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, yeah. I, it's interesting. It's interesting thinking back on, you know, we Mission St. Louis kind of started inside like Adams Elementary School, so we got yep. to know we got to know a lot of a lot of neighbors and residents on that side of Van Deventer. And then um, James Amos and Darren Jackson and Jim Thayer. Uh, That's who I'm talking about, James Amos. That's the yeah. Name. Started walking the neighborhood and uh, and really just going like. You know, how do we how do we build relationship? What is you know, what does that what does that look like? And then out of that, I think I think whoever it was, uh, I know Stella was a part of that at the very beginning, but was just like, hey, what does what like a celebration look like on Tuesday nights in this neighborhood? And uh, and we were I think at that point we were just walking the streets on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that yep. that quickly evolved into I think at first we actually called it a sports camp. But then it uh, then it just turned into a block party. Um, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> talk about the talk about that because I feel like when we once that started to happen, and then you had you know like the Rodics were involved, Hannah was involved. Um, we got to you know tons of folks kind of 
it, it was really the one of the catalytic moments to pull everybody out of their house. And I mean, I think all we did was like buy a couple of basketball goals and some hot dogs. But uh, man, those are those are some of the most like fond memories that I have uh, of the beginning. Why? 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 What, what were? Tell me about some of your favorite moments of that time. Oh man, just seeing everyone come together and just kick it. You know, the block parties were a time, um, our neighborhood was a little chaotic at times, but during the block parties, you did not see the nonsense. You know, everyone mm. would come out and play basketball, uh, football at times, and uh, kickball. And just, I mean, as I'm older now, and I, I look back on things, especially being involved with different groups who are trying to do sort of what you guys did, um, just being a part of that was amazing because you you had some of the what would you call the most hood guys with some of the whitest people hanging out together and you know loving and kicking it and these these people will probably never even talk to each other on a day to day basis if it wasn't for the block party. Yeah. And, you know, I think I think the, the it's interesting to hear you talk about it, because I think I think on the other side of the coin. Right. Like as I look at. As I look at my own story, like, you know, there was there was a lot of like, hey, this is super uncomfortable and we're outsiders walking into a neighborhood that, to be honest, don't belong, don't understand culturally. Um, and you know, probably truth be told, like there was a, there's probably a savior complex coming in, like white people coming in to do some type of activity in a black neighborhood. Um, how, how did you wrestle with any of that? How'd you experience that or well, feel that? I think that, um, that's an issue that you see a, a lot when it comes to nonprofits is the savior complex. Um, I would say at first, that's what it looked like was, hey, these people are coming in and thinking we need their help. Um, But, I mean, after, I'll say a while, like maybe a few months, like you just saw the realness. And again, like I said, to start this, um, everyone within that organization became our family. You know, so um, we we didn't see it as a saver complex. We saw it as, hey, these people our family, um, that someone I can go to, not just for um, toys or money. I, I can go to, to Josh. I can go to Darren and James. A conversation. Hey, I need help with my homework. Hey, I have this issue. I don't know how to respond to it, but I know I don't want to do it how i previously done it. How would you handle this? So, um just being able to get a different uh, perspective from someone who doesn't share your background, I would say help me personally get to where I am now because I, I, I was able to understand and learn at a, at a young age from the relationship that I um, gained with you guys that, hey, step out of your comfort zone and actually listen to someone's uh, who's different from you from their to their perspective and try to understand 
the way that they approach life, which I'm sure you guys got the same thing. Um, even if you went in there with a saber complex, again, like I'm sure my granddad and my grandma taught you guys a lot. And hundred percent. So I think that that is that was also a blessing. A lot of people don't get that, especially young people. So to be able to be able to just learn from different people and um, hear their stories just taught me how to approach a lot of situations that I go through now. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, I, I, and I know I've told you this before, but you know, I don't, I don't know that I like, I could probably tell you what experiencing community looks like, but I don't know that I've ever felt it like those four or five years that, that we were there. Um, yeah. It feels so much longer, right? Mm-hmm. Four years. It's, yeah, but that idea of like that idea of like brotherhood, that idea of like, you know, I think that's one of the things that I learned the most was, hey, what is it, you know, what does it look like to to experience community that way? Because you guys did an incredible job and your grandparents just naturally do an insane job of like just drawing people close. And I mean, it was, that house was always crazy. I mean, there's always something happening, always something going on. And yet at the same time, like I can walk in there without hesitation and, yeah. uh, and be able to experience the same amount of community as, as, as anybody else that had longer experience, you know, or, or was family member um, that, uh, that I didn't, that I didn't have. And I think it was kind of one of the, the first times I'd ever experienced anything like that. And then the, I, I would say the second part was, you know, I think a piece of my, story was was definitely kind of going in with like savior complex but then being met with that moment where like you and I have deep friendship and and I can it's not that you know like what you said it's not that you can ask me or anybody else for is like hey like there was a there's a piece of like hey I need you just as much as you need me but that that took like that took a long time to get to it did it definitely did. And again, I mean, life is about growing together. And I definitely think we we all did that. I mean, every time I talk to my grandparents, they're asking about you. So. Yeah, man. So. Um, so there. let's talk a little bit about you and then I want to. Well, actually, let's do this. So, I mean, the the life stage of kind of Mission St. Louis and, and specifically our relationship, you and I um is you know we at the block party on Tuesdays we kind of got to know each other you know Lee and I moved into the neighborhood and you were a part of like watching our kids from the very very beginning um but yeah. there was a moment and uh I want to ask two things like one how do you see the neighborhood change and then two I want to get into like the beginning of the job training when we were meeting in my in my living room for those like nine months talking about manhood. But before we get there, okay. like, you know, as you begin to see, you know, we were, I don't even remember how long it was, maybe four or five years of block party, walking the streets, hanging out. Um, the, the very foundation of what mission St. Louis was going to become really blossomed in, in McCree town, uh, you know, hearing your story, you know, looking back on, on some of the fun we had, 
you also experienced that community far longer than we did, saw it much, much longer than before we got there. How'd you see the neighborhood change? What were some of the good? What was some of the bad? Um, I would say uh, to start off as a... As hey, a, real quick too. How old were you when, uh, when we first met? Uh, 14, 15. Okay. Around that age, 14 and 15. But uh, to start... Uh, before Mission St. Louis came in, um, one side of our neighborhood had just been uh, knocked down. Um, at first, it was uh, completely gentrified. Yeah. So at first, it was subsidized homes. Uh, they knocked all those apartments down and began to build middle class homes uh, for the first. And if, if you've been there, you know, but just to give you guys a, just a visual there was before um, the middle upper middle class families moved in. Uh, there was a black metal gate that separated basically the hood from upper middle class. <laughs> and so, um, from like brand new was, construction, right? That was the that was the first uh, step to gentrification in our neighborhood, but. Um, Mission St. Louis came in. It was still, I'll say, majority of what we saw growing up, which was majority black. And as the years gone by, I was 14 at the time. By the time I was 18, our neighborhood, you started seeing a lot of the upper middle class white and mixed families move in. And now it's completely what it's that was 13 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I left home at 18 and went to college. Uh, so within the, these last 10 years, I'll say it's completely gentrified and none of, I'll maybe one or two, my uncle still owns his home there. So I'll say one or two families are still living there. I mean, unfortunately my grandparents don't live there anymore after being there for 40 plus years. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was heartbreaking to see, what your neighborhood once was. And now I, I went back home for the first time in 12 years uh, last year. And I mean, it was just shocking to see what our neighborhood is now. It's, I mean, it's not even our neighborhood anymore. It's what, what do they call it? Uh, <laughs> Botanical Heights. I don't know. That's it. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that was pretty, that was pretty uh, eye bog. Which is pretty similar to what it used to be called in the dark side too. So it's Botanical Heights, dark side, you know, yeah. very similar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you, if you drive down there now, you, I mean, it's sad. You wouldn't, you probably see my uncle. That's about it. But everyone else in the neighborhood has moved and it's not really our neighborhood anymore. So. Yeah. Uh, hey, so, you know, one of the things that 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 marked Mission St. Louis and specifically like all the workforce development did came out of our time together, um, having breakfast on Thursday mornings uh, over at over at our house. And uh, me, you, Todd, Darren, this, yeah. Sabio, all these Randy, all yeah. these dudes. Um, I mean, we, we spent nine months really, you know, I always say when I, when I retell the story, like, you know, what the neighborhood was really crying out for was like resources and engagement for like young men. Right. Like that, that's yeah. kind of, when we look at, you know, like 
all the chaos that was happening and all that, like it was, it was really, it was really that young men kind of heading that up. And so we, we kind of engaged in a way of like, Hey, what is, what does relationship building look like specifically with young men? And then we, uh, you know, through the four years of playing basketball and hanging out and walking streets and getting to know one another, um, you know, we started having breakfast together every Thursday and I'll, I'll never forget like that curriculum that we went through was, was really phenomenal, but like the, the key theme was like, Hey, what are areas in your life that you're really passive that, you know, you need to take responsibility. And, you know, I think like being pretty open, whether it was Darren, Todd, myself being able to be like, Hey, like here's areas of my life that I'm a complete coward that I need brothers to like, love me, care for me, fight my passivity. And uh, as I think back over the 15 years, I mean, that was some of the most unbelievable time that we spent together. Like that group of guys really talking about, you know, a lot of it came down to like issues of like manhood, but really it was a lot about like character, integrity, building a brotherhood together that led to, to workforce development. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, what, what do you remember about that, that season? Oh, it was, it was a funny season. I mean, we could never get past Randy cracking his jokes, right? <laughs> but, I mean, other than that, again, as, as I'm older and I look back, uh, those conversations, that time prepared me for the world. Um, we didn't, again, we didn't have many examples. And so- Was there a moment in that time that, that stood out to you? What'd you say? Was there one moment in that in that time that stood out to you? Anything specific? Oh man, just a bunch of dudes that with different backgrounds getting together and I mean, our group became boys real. And so I mean it was something to look forward to is uh to go to those Thursday uh morning breakfasts and uh talk with you, Todd and Darren. And but also listen to uh, people like uh, Servio, who was in our neighborhood that we didn't really talk with. So we had people in our neighborhood that we didn't yeah. talk with that we thought were weird. And just being able to hear, you know, the things that he has to say or what he's passionate about or the issues that um, he deals with. And also just to see the similarities in certain uh, character flaws or issues that we all deal with. You know, I think uh, that was a highlight uh, seeing someone like Todd struggle with the same thing I'm struggling with, uh, like anger or uh, just for an example. So being able to see that and get that perspective, I would say helped me a ton. And that's one of the things that I enjoyed about that group. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think the I think one of the interesting conversations that you and I had in that season that that as I think back and and, and remember, um, I mean, one of actually it, it may one is I think you were about to break my coffee room table when we were talking about forgiveness. That was a uh, <laughs> that that was one I'll, I'll never forget. Um, but I think one of the the sweetest times that I had with you was, and I don't even know. I don't think it was. I don't know if it was that Thursday morning. It must have, it may have been just one night. And uh, I had walked out and you were on the front porch 
And I was like, bro, what is, what is wrong with you? Like we had, had eaten dinner or something like that. And you kind of hanging out on the front porch and, and we were inside and I walked out and I was like, dude, what's going on? And you're like, man, I've never seen a, a man get on the floor. And I think Morgan must've been, you know, two or three years old, something like that. And like play with his daughter, like just, wrestle and play and that sort of thing and i'll never forget like walking out and like you trying to come to terms and like process that and uh i remember having that conversation and just being like oh man this is this is this is deep yeah it's you don't know what's crazy is that now i mean i've seen that a million times (laughs) it's it's like a norm now so uh, again just being able to see examples like that um now not just see them like has helped me grow and actually be that example too yeah yeah what's uh what's the whitest thing you've ever seen me do oh man this one time i i don't know how old I <laughs> hey there's gotta be a little <laughs> hesitation bro <laughs> oh there's i got a few stories we were, uh, Josh, I maybe, what was I, 16? Yeah, and we, we and Josh were, uh, they asked me if I wanted to come hang out with them to see Christmas lights. And <laughs> I get in the car, and there's probably a bag full of bread. And I'm like, what is this for? It's like, oh, we hand out bread to all our friends. That had to be the whitest thing I have ever been a part of. And I've never <laughs> seen that. So I still have never seen that, Josh. So I don't know if it's a weird Louisiana white thing, but it's not. It was not for me. I, I mean, I don't. I don't even think that I understood what all was. Uh, what all was happening until you were like, I don't know. I think we had like gotten. We had dropped off some bread and like I don't know, sang Christmas carols or something to some friends dropped off some baked goods and you look at me and you're like, this is the whitest thing I have ever done. Oh, it definitely was. <laughs> you, you, you got, you got some other like uh Christmas, Christmas caroling was also one of the whitest things I've ever seen. <laughs> these, these dudes were trying to Christmas carol through the hood. You go door to door through the hood and sing Christmas songs. It's like, no one does that. Well, I think at one point you were like, hey, you know that you guys can't sing half as good as anybody in this thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> Y'all need to knock on the door and let them sing to you. Uh, oh, that's the truth, man. <laughs> so uh, so tell me, uh, so tell everybody just a little bit. Um, I, I mean, I think... I and mean, one of the reasons that we want to do, I want to do this podcast with you. One is, you know, you're like, like a brother to me um, and uh, just a dude that I love a ton, but also because I'm just like, I'm insanely proud of the man that, that you are, but also the man that you've become. Will you, will you tell everybody just a little bit about, he graduated from Oakville. Talk a little bit about your story. Talk about what you're doing now. What happened? Gosh, has it been? How long has it been since you got married? A year and a half? No, I got married in March. What a nine months. March. So, so, yeah, so, so talk about that. And then, you know, what you texted me the other day. Oh, yeah. So um, let's start with uh, when you left, uh, when you, well, you live with Lee and I for what, a year, six months, yeah. something like that? Yeah. And I ended up leaving 
and uh, going to California uh, to go play football in, in Fresno. Um, when I left home, it was all about football. That was the only thing that I pretty much cared about. Um, so I ended up going to California for three years. And after I left California, I moved to Arizona and started uh, working uh, with a foster care agency called Foster Care Initiatives. And uh, I in Phoenix? Yeah, in Phoenix. Uh, this was around, I was 20, I would be 22 at the time now. Okay. Um, and I started Affordable Christmas with Josh's help. Uh, it was, that was crazy. It was something I've never done. And um, I connected with uh, some big churches out here and I started Affordable Christmas. Uh, Josh helped me out and I did that for the first year. We probably served, I would say, close to 500 kids. And it exploded out there. The second year was around 1,500 kids. Jeez. And now, I don't, I'm not even a part of it. They do it themselves. <laughs> it's like, y'all, y'all got it. I'm, I'm out of this. But um, I did that for a couple of years, worked for foster care initiatives and moved over. Uh, uh, again, Josh mentioned gentrification in my neighborhood, and we talked about that. Uh, so uh, that really motivated me to get into housing. I wanted, I started out in housing when I was 23 and wanted to uh, really stop gentrification. So a friend and myself started um, a housing agency called uh, Sadie's Housing, where we would take homes. Um, It was very interesting. We would take um, homes that rich uh, people own. And uh, out here, a lot of wealthy individuals buy homes in bulk and uh, underserved communities. And they will let them sit until the neighborhood gentrifies. Um, So what we did was we then took those homes. Instead of letting them sit, we would move the family in need into those homes and at a very affordable rent rate. And I did that for two years. And then um, I met um, who's now my... um, boss Steve Capobras um, in between doing that and he hired me to come on to an agency called Housing for Hope where we build affordable housing um, units uh, using affordable housing tax credits and so I've been doing that now for about um, five years and so what we do is we apply and uh, for tax credits and rewarded those tax credits. We build those homes and then we moved families in at an affordable rate. So I've been doing that for five years now. My plan is to hopefully bring uh, that to St. Louis or something sort of like that is to St. Louis. And uh, I really want to tackle the um, ownerships rates of blacks in uh, St. Louis. Uh, that's a big part of my goal is the only way you can stop gentrification is by ownership. And if you never own, you you, you can never end it, right? Right. So um, that's what I've been doing for the past 10 years is 
trying to learn how to help individuals who don't necessarily have the resources to uh, potentially own their homes and own their communities. Because again, my family um, was, they were in a neighborhood for 40 plus years and now we don't own anything in that neighborhood or any of my friends and their families. Like they, they didn't own anything in their neighborhood, but you know, we took care of that neighborhood um, and no one would love it like we like we did, you know, and represented right. like we are represented now. So I think right. that is a huge um, goal and mission in my life is to help people just obtain ownership. What's your uh, what's your hope? I mean, what's your hope for Mission St. Louis? But really, I think the better question is kind of what's your hope for for St. Louis? And uh, and as we think about. You know, our relationship started because we're really interested and in, in, in desperate to love and care for our city well, to address like deep-rooted systemic issues of poverty. Like you're you're St. Louis through and through. What what's what's your hope for the city? Uh, well, just to continue to just grow and um, also uh, be open to different and more opportunities. Um, and agencies that are going to help tackle a lot of those issues, such as ownership or, um, I mean, racism is a big one in St. Louis. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but for Mission St. Louis, let's say continue to be be y'all. I mean, you guys are a, a beacon in the community. You are a light. Um, I think uh, just coming with the approach like, hey, we know this is going to be hard, but also just loving people, but also allowing them to love you. Um, I'll say continue to do that because, I mean, I'm thankful for the relationships I have, you know, gained from Mr. St. Louis. I mean, those relationships are forever. You know, my, my kids are going to call you Uncle Josh. So, <laughs> you know, so I'll say just continue to be yourself and continue to be real because people – can sense when, you know, the fake is there. And so I, I don't have, I don't think you guys are going any, any away anytime soon because, I mean, you know, who's you're the head of it and that's what you've shown and what you've given uh, through all the years that I've known you, so. Thanks, dude. That's good.